0: Yes, this is my first time in Madison, Wisconsin. Of course, by now, the whole world knows that Madison, Wisconsin exists, (laughs) but not for the real crucial reason that the church of God is here, and that the flow of God is here, and that for some mysterious reason, and it is mysterious, that dear brothers and sisters, at least several hours' drive away, would decide to spend a weekend in Madison, Wisconsin. Amen. I believe it's the Lord drawing us into His name so that He may minister to us through His Word. This is what really characterizes the church God desires, and that characterizes the Lord's recovery, the name and the word. This was the Lord's commendation to the church in Philadelphia, which was an actual church in today's Turkey, and in prophecy represents the recovered church the church God intends to recover. And he said, you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Amen. So that's all we have to offer anyone. Uh, we don't exalt or uplift any person, uh, any name. Rather, we all exalt the precious name of Jesus, the God-exalted one. And we meet in his name, with his word, basing every teaching and testing every experience by the infallible, God-inspired word. This weekend, the conference will have a very sharp focus. Actually, on a single verse, but we may say on three verses in Colossians 3, which I'll read. Then we'll go on with some necessary uh, opening fellowship. Then we'll begin to. Journey through the outline. Verse 15. Let the peace of Christ arbitrate in your hearts. So God is obviously very concerned about our inner being. That the peace of Christ would rule. To which peace. Also you were called in one body. Uh, we were called to peace in the body of Christ, of which we're members, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace, In your hearts to God. There's our inner being again, our hearts. And grace is the triune God in Christ for our enjoyment. Then in verse 17, we have the overflow or the issue of the Word of Christ dwelling in us. And whatever you do, in word or in deed, Do all things in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is not a central truth, but it is significant that in the span of three verses, Paul says, Be thankful and giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is a little footnote. It's a comment about this generation in which we all are. But it's not a generational comment. I believe we can say we live in a thankless generation. The gimme generation. But a person who's one with the Lord, who's filled with the Lord was governed by the peace of God, who was indwelt by the Word of Christ, who lives in the name of the Lord Jesus. He is thankful to God. Amen. Aren't you thankful that you're saved? Amen. That you have the life of God. I, I've never, I don't think I've ever met you two brothers. I assure you, I love you very much. Because we're brothers. We're born of the same Father God. We have the divine life. Aren't you glad the Lord has preserved us. Unto this hour. In spite of our weaknesses. In spite of all the things that have happened. We're no better than others. But the Lord has had mercy on us. Aren't you thankful that you love the Lord tonight. More than you've ever loved him in your whole life. Aren't you thankful for the churches? For the brothers and sisters. For the Lord's ministry. Really wonderful. And I believe there will be more genuine thanks. Welling up as we proceed. The general subject is the word of Christ. Dwelling in us. Richly. This is a very sharp focus. Like a laser. And a focus is necessary, but we shouldn't lose sight of the big picture, which I'll now comment on. The universe exists, and we exist, according to Revelation 4.11, because of God's will. And God's will is to have in Christ, with all of his redeemed people, a corporate expression of himself in glory. This is God's eternal purpose to have a corporate expression, a glorious expression in probably tens, hopefully hundreds of millions of redeemed, regenerated, transformed, built up, glorified. Sons of God. And in God talk, the bride includes male and female believers and sons include male and female believers. Just in case at the universe, you know, the the U of W has put kind of, uh, you know, gender thoughts in you. May the Lord wash you. God is all inclusive. We're all part of the wife and we're all sons of God. So this is the big picture. God's purpose is to have the new Jerusalem. Which is a corporate God-man. It's a person. Composed of the triune God himself. One with and mingled with all of his redeemed people. Tens, hundreds of millions. In a new heaven and a new earth. That's where it's headed. In order for God to work this out, we need to realize at least three things that are vitally important. If our Christian life on earth is to really be a contribution to this, it's possible for one's Christian life to miss the mark. And therefore, one misses the kingdom as a reward. Or it's possible to be open to the Lord and one with the Lord so that our human and Christian life is not only involved with this, it contributes to this. So there are three things we need to realize. and The first is God wants to work the all-inclusive Christ into our being. And He created us as vessels, tripartite, in His image, specifically with this goal in mind. God is not satisfied if we merely worship Him objectively. He wants a worship described in John 4 that is the expression of the reality in our inner being which reality is Christ himself you look at him 538 that is god's intent and pleasure that his christ would be wrought in me the hymn follows the thought of the apostle Paul. Galatians 1:15 and 16 Christ revealed in me. Galatians 2:20 Christ lives in me. Galatians 4:19 Christ formed in me. Galatians uh, Ephesians 3:17 Christ makes home in me. Ephesians 1, 19 to 21, Christ magnified in me. Colossians 3, 10 and 11, Christ all in me. This is the central work of God. The main thing that the Lord wants to accomplish in us personally is to work Christ into our entire being. As someone who is not young, and let me tell you, there are distinct advantages to being not young. (laughs) If you're not young in Christ, and you're fresh and new and revived and vital, and as someone who's been here for nearly 45 years in the church life, I've seen. All kinds of things happen. The, the unimaginable, the incredible. All kinds of things, personally, corporately. They happen. I guess they'll always happen, always meaning in this old creation. Why, I don't know. I would never try to explain. Not anymore. But I can only say this. Since it happened, even though we don't know why it happened, will you allow the Lord to work himself into you through this? I'm not saying that's why it happened. I don't know why it happened. But how will, how will it affect you? How will it shape you? Would you eventually receive mercy to say, Lord, I still love you. I open myself to you. Work yourself into me. Okay, the second matter is to realize the Lord does everything through his word. And for us, the word is Is the living word Christ, and it is the word of the scripture, the written word of God, as spirit and life. And we will see the word of Christ is a combination of Christ himself as the living word, and the word spoken in the Son and recorded in the New Testament. All of that is his word. We were regenerated. Through the living and abiding word of God. And we should rejoice and we do rejoice over any human being. Saved through any kind of preaching anywhere. We rejoice in this. That something of the gospel was preached. And a person turned to the Lord and believed. This happens Through the Word. We're regenerated through the Word. We are washed and sanctified, Ephesians 5 says, through the Word. The Word of grace builds us up. That is Paul's Word in Acts 20. He's leaving the saints there.
1: He knows intuitively
0: he'll never be back. He had spent three years in Ephesus. What a war broke out. I got to visit that place and went into the, the arena, the theater last summer. Um, no riot, which was uh, okay, And then he said, I'm going, you won't see me again. I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which will build you up. The word builds us up. The word ministers life to us. The word enlightens us. The word supplies grace to us. When the Lord Jesus returns, his name will be the word of God. Amen. And he will destroy the enemy by the breath of his mouth. Now something that may be encouraging to those who have come to realize that all real problems are inward. They're not other people. I, I Believe me, the intrinsic problem is not the other person. It's not the thing. It's not the matter. All of our serious problems are inward. We is the problem. Okay? And disposition and self and peculiarity and all kinds of things. But the word of God has many functions one is to be a hammer to break the rocks in pieces. Another is fire to burn in our being. We need to have the full trust in, in the Lord's Word. Remember that centurion. Was it his servant who was sick unto death? He he sent a messenger to the Lord to report the matter. The Lord said, I'll come and heal him. Then the word came, please don't come. I'm not worthy for you to come. I also am a man under authority. I say this, I say that, he does it. Simply speak the word. And my servant will be healed. Do you know what we all need on an ongoing basis? We need a word. But not a kind of uh, audible, strange word which empowers yourself and you say, God told me this, God showed me this. Now everything is non negotiable. But I mean a living word. From the Witten word. Applied to your being. Now the last point. Will lead us into the very. Heart. Of the burden. For the entire weekend. It's the first word. I think it's the first. But yes. In verse 16. Let. Let. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Everything depends on let. Because there is a crucial principle here, I may need uh, about 10 minutes to, uh, to develop this. And the principle I'm referring to is how God relates to and governs uh, beings in the universe who have a will. Okay, human beings and angels. They have a will. And when I refer now to the will. I mean the capacity that we all possess to make decisions. That is... An exercise of the will. A brother before the meeting asked, would you like some coffee? I said no. But is there water there? That's a simple exercise of will. God did not create robots. He has no intention of reducing us to robots. He did not plant a chip in us Um, so that, you know, we're kind of uh, manipulated unknowingly. He is too great for that. And a basic principle of God's relationship with every human being is that although God has a will, which he will carry out, and although he is sovereign, He respects the human will. And at least to some extent, and for some period of time, a person can limit what God does in her life or his life. Because you don't let. Let means you allow. Let means you permit. Let means you decide in favor of. You will let it. This is why, when God created humankind, which was actually part of a a massive restoration of a previous creation, when He created human beings, He explicitly acknowledged. To them, there are two sources. There's not only I myself, the Lord, signified by the tree of life. There is another source which issues in death. And now I put you in this situation with all these lovely trees and especially the tree of life and you may eat of any tree in the garden except this one. That kind of word is directed at the will. That is a word that is to be obeyed by an action of the will. And we need to face the fact that it was the woman who was deceived, but it was the man who was held responsible. You read Romans 5. It doesn't say the first woman. It says the first man, Adam. It was an open act of disobedience. Probably motivated by something that we don't need to get into, which is the snare, and has been the snare, of males since that time. The point is, God wants a human being to respond. Now, please realize the difference between the function of the will and willpower, what we call willpower. The function of the will is the capacity to make decisions. What kind of salad dressing will you put on your salad? that you don't have to stir up tremendous energy. It's not hard. You just make a decision. Willpower is when you rely upon the strength of your natural life with your will to do something that probably you really don't want to do, but you have to do. That you got diagnosed with some kind of diabetes, and so no more Babcock. (laughs) I didn't get my daily scoop. What deprivation. They took me to the campus and it was closed today, you know. So someone to say, I will not eat ice cream. That's not really a decision. That's relying upon the strength of your natural life to do something. And when we do that, you know where we are? We're in this place called Romans 7. You will to do it. Okay. Some theologians, the the poor fellows, because they know that willpower is impotent in divine things, they also dismiss the faculty. Of the will. But God doesn't agree with that. When the gospel is announced. We don't know. Who is appointed to eternal life. We don't know. Who in the audience has been chosen. Before the foundation of the world. But the gospel is announced. And some respond. And some do not respond. And those who respond exercise their will, not power. And those who do not respond exercise their will, not power. How this can be reconciled with God's sovereignty, no one can do that. God hasn't shown it. You can try it, but just let me save you intellectual energy. We can't do that. God is sovereign. And you're not a robot. So just a little kind of footnote to this. Because I honor this, I never, never recruit for the full-time training. I would never speak to any group of young people anywhere in a way to try to stir up something or remind them of a vow they took when they were 12 or whatever. There's no need For the human hand to interfere with things. We just present the matters. We give loving encouragement and support. Then we let the young people know. You are the Lord's. You follow the Lord. You live to the Lord. You live according to John 21. So we need to be clear about this basic matter. Now. Regarding this. There is a great big difference between the way God operates and the way Satan operates. The Lord will move only when we let. When we let. And he's very good at causing things to happen that will motivate us to let. But still we have to let. Right? So I heard a sister testify today how she got from Eugene, Oregon, to Champaign, Urbana—that involved letting. Surely it involved letting. But the but God will not move when we are passive. He will not. But the enemy moves the most when we are passive. So let's take. Revelation 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. As an illustration. The Lord says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in. You see the active response? Hear my voice. But it's not sufficient to say, Come in. No, and opens the door. Okay, using this as a kind of metaphor, the Lord comes to the door of your being and the door is open. He will not come in, He will knock and He will wait for a response. Lord, this is you. I love you, Lord. I welcome you, Lord. Come into my whole heart. Spread in me, Lord. You want to do this, I will let you do this. But if he speaks and we're passive, he will do nothing but wait. But if the door is open, the enemy will say, the door is open. I'm coming in. And I will go as far as I can Until there's a reaction. If we don't let. If we have a habit of not letting. We can waste years. We may excuse ourselves by likening ourselves to the paralyzed man in John 5. The Lord came to him. Do you want. To get healed. Then he gives his excuse. I have to to wait for the jacuzzi to get going. For the angel to stir up the water. Then someone has to carry me in. But then the Lord, he spoke to him. And he had to respond to take up his mat. This matter of let... Uh, this is not too much to say, will determine your spiritual progress in your whole life. You will determine how much the Lord grows in you. You will determine how much Christ will make his home in you. Because look at something obvious. Please don't be bothered by something obvious. Certain things in life we have to do all by ourselves. Like you're breathing. You have a surrogate. You're breathing. I can't breathe for you. No doubt you had some kind of nourishment today. I, I ate, I don't know how to talk Wisconsin. I know a little bit how to talk Minnesota. But then I had someone tell me, that's, that's the wrong accent. And I said, you betcha, okay. But we went to the old-fashioned. And I had fried cheese curds. Right? And they, they were on the plate. And, and, and I, I ate them all by myself. And there were two kinds of sauce. There's this tiger sauce and dressing and there's the ranch dressing. And I had to make a decision. Ranch, tiger, tiger, ranch. And everyone at the table was eating themselves. The basic things, if you don't do them, no one can do them. Not your angel. Not the elders, not the co-workers, not the whole church, not the entire body of Christ. Not even God. Only you can say, Lord Jesus, I consecrate this day to you. I thank you for giving me this day, at least this moment. I consecrate this to you. I can't be a representative and say, Lord, I consecrate Tim's day to you. I consecrate Dave's day to you. I can't do that. That's overstepping. Can I tell another brother's wife, I love you? No one, no one can do that. And i tell you this anecdote again. I don't know why my dad told me this when I was in high school. He, he must have had a reason. A little sidebar, but it does make the point. You know, I'm from Motown. I went to Blue Collar U. My dad worked at the Rouge plant, this huge plant. Stopped his education at the 8th grade. Went into trade school. So he's there. He's a tool and dye operator. And this older co-worker probably... I don't know how many decades older, told him this story and my dad told me. I don't know why. Maybe in the New Jerusalem, if I remember, I'll ask him. And this is what his older co-worker told my dad. And now this is the older co-worker speaking to his wife. On their wedding day, he said, I love you. I married you because I love you. I will always love you. And I will never say this again. (laughs) One, I love you. To govern their whole married life. So she has to live on the memory of that. And I believe of the four statements, the fourth was the strongest. For some reason, he he just felt uneasy with this I love you stuff. He knew he had to do it once, so it was once for all. But imagine the dear wife, 40 years into the marriage. What did he say? I love you. But if he wouldn't say it, No one can represent him in saying it. If you do not exercise your spirit, which is an action that involves the will, exercise always involves the will. You can never exercise because you feel something or because you have thoughts on its benefit. You've got to decide to do it probably in the face of feelings that that's the last thing you want to do. I don't know. I, I traveled with a brother recently. Of course, he is a great deal younger than I. I. I just marveled. We had to get up early in the morning. His alarm goes off and he's up. My alarm goes off. This is only the beginning of the struggle. (laughs) There's a reason there are snooze buttons. But the point is, every day is an action of the will to decide. Now, we have the all-inclusive Christ embodied in his word ready to be everything to us, give everything to us, do everything in us, but we have to let, to let. That's what it says. That means we need to have a realization, a desire, an exercise Not just one time. On the day you got married. You say I love you. Day after day. Okay. You have something like this. This is a Blackberry bold. You know it it doesn't just get phone calls. Gets email. Doesn't just have an email function. I got iSilo in. And then you go to I Silo. You have the Bible. So now I get up and it's early. I've made the decision to, and then this is not far away. And so there's this question: I wonder what emails came in over the night. So should I power it up and go to uh, Gmail? And then to LSM mail. If I do that. If there's no interesting mail. That's not so bad. But then you get into things. And a half hour later. Or I can just scroll to the left. Click. I silo. Click. The Holy Bible. And continue where I left off. No one can do it for me. You can pray for me. If you have the leading to. But you can't do it. We have to let. This does not involve power of the will. It involves a decision. Lord, you've given me today. I give you this day. Now I will let you. Work yourself into my being today. And I I pray for it. I'm going to pray Ephesians three. I want you to do this, I will let you do it. So this is our key word. To let. When we okay, there's one other thing you need to realize. Why what is the main reason we don't let I would suggest there are two main reasons for all of us the manifestation may differ according to our situation and age and health and who knows what one of the reasons is distractions we're just distracted the other reason is death In our being. Our body is a body of death. And death means. Being passivity. Being passive. In relation to the things of the spirit. That's death. So you just don't have any feeling. You just don't have any energy. You just don't want to. You have no interests. That is death. To let, the act of letting, is an act of reigning in life over death. So I hope this is reasonably clear. Because everything in the four messages, based on the four outlines, is only operative if you let. I can't let for you. And I will not manipulate you to let. Coerce you to let. Because that is not the way of God. To manipulate. To try to play around with people. That's shameful. We should be genuine, truthful, straightforward, pure, guileless. Especially in relation to the saints. I cannot overemphasize the immensity of the importance of this key. You just let, and the Lord does everything. I will come into Him and dine with Him and feast with Him. You just let me in. Okay, I have prepared the whole feast. I myself am the feast. I will sit down in your being. We will have a mutual enjoyment in the process, God, inside of your heart. You don't have to prepare anything. I'm the fattened calf. I have been prepared. I will serve you. Don't you know I'm the servant of Jehovah? I will serve you. Okay, now, message one. The word of Christ. The word of Christ is the, Im- is- is the embodiment of, of the Christ unveiled in Colossians. See, the thought here is this. Colossians 3.16 comes after chapters 1 and 2 of Colossians and the first 15 verses of chapter 3. Okay, know this is pretty deep stuff. <laughs> And so, we shouldn't just isolate the word of Christ. It's the word of Christ, the Christ, unveiled in this book. The all-inclusive, extensive, preeminent Christ. The centrality and universality of God's economy. In chapter 1, verse 11, he's our portion. That's the good land. In chapter 1, verse 15, he is the image of the invisible God. In verse 18, he's the one who has the first place in everything. He is the one in whom everything coheres, holds together. Colossians reveals the all-inclusive Christ. The one who is God, man, and the reality of every positive thing in the universe. So we have a reference, chapter 2, verse 9. All the fullness of the Godhead dwells in him. Anyone know what verse 10 says? It says, and you are full in Him. All the fullness of the Godhead is in Him. Now you're in Him and you just let Him fill your whole being. And 16 and 17, Paul is referring to things like the Sabbath, the annual feasts, the new moon, And then he says, these are shadows. The reality is Christ and the principle is. God created the universe in such a way that every positive thing is a type of Christ. So the sun, the S-U-N, is not the real sun. Can you not testify? That the real sun is the sun of righteousness. With healing in its wings. Haven't you at least once experienced the healing in his rays? And he has wings. So this sun is like a bird. Is flying through your being. Healing your wounded heart. Healing the inner wounds. Just by shining. Now, I'm glad we got the S-U-N out there. But that's not the real sun. That's not the real radiance. B says Christ is the preeminent one. The one who has the first place in everything. And we can't say too much about this. Except to say... How can Christ have the first place in everything if we don't let him have the first place in anything? Now, a dear brother, and I I respect the brother. He's a, a fellow worker. I respect the human side. But he almost pleaded with me, don't use this kind of illustration That I will now use.
1: (laughs) But I use it, assuring
0: him, I can use it because I'm the same as you. Does Christ have the first place in our driving? In our driving. In our managing of credit cards, in our spending of money, in any number of things, in our relationships. But this is God's view, and God is working on us our whole life to attract us to Christ in such a way that he'll be the first in our personal universe. Oh, I would never touch the love of Mama Bear for Baby Bear. We know the husbands have learned And we've long since acquiesced to this fact. Yes, wife, you love us, but you love the kids more. We understand. They came out from you. Okay. But what about the Lord's word? He who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy. I mean, even represented by the small number here, there's a lot of grief, a lot of grief over sons and daughters. And after a a training message in which the speaker was illustrating anxiety, you know, being anxious and being anxious for your children, a brother came up to me and said, Are you anxious about. Your children, of course, they're all middle-aged. I said, no. I just agonize (laughs) over them. (laughs) You agonize. You grieve. But don't you think the Father loves your children even more than you do? Why don't you let Christ be your love for your children? If you let him do that, he will be the love in you for all the children in the whole recovery. The all-inclusive, extensive Christ is the centrality, the center, universality, the circumference of God's economy. In God's economy, Christ is everything. Now, don't let your heart go pity-patter now, okay? Don't let a, a sympathetic tear go streaming down your cheek. But I labor much with the brothers. I travel much. Sometimes in certain places, I hardly have the strength to stand up. As far as my physical situation is concerned, this is now an act of will, not will power, because there ain't no power left, but will power, but by the will. And I can testify to some extent: Christ is energy. Christ is strength. Christ is endurance. Christ is love. Christ is sweetness. Christ is joy. Christ is peace. God wants Christ and Christ alone. So it's okay if someone has this question. It's okay, especially if you're young. You mean then God doesn't want me? He doesn't like me? Well, no, God not only likes you, he loves you and he wants you in Christ, with Christ, for Christ, and through Christ. But not just you as you. Because you as you are just not altogether that precious. (laughs) But you in Christ. That's what God wants. If he didn't want you, he wouldn't have created you. If he didn't want you, he wouldn't have given up his own son to save you. But now he doesn't want you to be this splendid being in yourself. He wants you to be in the Christ who is everything. He's the wonderful, preeminent, all-inclusive Christ who is all in all. The all-inclusive, extensive Christ is the center of God's economy. Another application here. I hope it's not making you uneasy. I hope is giving you the impression that uh, this is for real. okay? We're not here studying theology. I'm not Ron the theologian, at least not tonight. This is for real. If Christ is the center, consider the implications. That means you're not. You're not. It's really... Quite uh, exciting, but in in a human sense, when two self-centered, powerful persons come into the same small group setting, and there's the unspoken battle for supremacy. But it's not only that you're not the center. What is your center? I'm not young. My life is in the Lord's hands. If the Lord's coming is delayed 50 years, I'm probably not going to be speaking at the seven feasts at the age of 130 something. Should I end up my life with health being my center? My health, my health condition? And about diet related to health. And organic this and that related to health. Should that be my center? Should my grandchildren be my center? I have three lovely grandchildren. They probably not will not win Nobel Prizes. They are part of billions of children in the world. They're precious. Will the price of gasoline. I drove by I said, gas is so cheap here, three forty six a gallon. <laughs> Should that be the center? Should the stock market be the center? Should the condition of the church be the center? Should your condition be your center? Okay, now you're really getting inward. So, you're studying all the ministry on disposition and you're sending me emails. How to, how to deal with peculiarity. Now I'm getting emails. How can I be buildable? Please tell me how to be buildable. Sister, actually, you really do not want me to tell you how to be buildable. Uh, and so it's so easy for things other than Christ to be the center But God's intention is that Christ would be the center and God's dispensing is altogether related to Christ and focused on Christ. So it's so simple. Day after day, I suggest, and I have this practice, you get up, you begin your discourse with the Lord. You say, Lord, I turn my heart to you. This simple matter means you're the center. My heart is turned to you. It's not set on anything else. I open my heart to you, Lord. I turn to you. I draw near to you with my turned and opened heart. And now I pray today, strengthen me with power through your spirit into the inner man. Make your home in my heart. Do this for the body. When you do this, you get dispensing. But when we're centered, even in our prayers, we can pray about all manner of things without being centered on them. We need to cover all kinds of situations. But sometimes when we pray, we center ourselves on the thing. We're drawn into the thing. It's worse than when we started to pray because we prayed without Christ being the center. But when he's the center, we get the dispensing. I don't know about you, although I kind of think I might know something, this is positive. But right now, I'm enjoying dispensing. Praise the Lord. Like, this is for real. Okay, God's intention in His economy, this is three, is to work the wonderful, all-inclusive, extensive, Christ, into our being as our life and our everything. Do you know what you need the Lord to be? If you do, ask him. Most of the time, I don't know what I need. So I'd rather say, Lord, minister yourself to me according to your understanding of what my situation is. You know. And he wants to be our life and our everything so that for what? So that we may become the corporate expression of the triune God. Um, you know how you're going to end up but what, what your destiny is? There will be a new heaven and a new earth. And at the center of this new heaven and the new earth will be the new Jerusalem not a physical city but a corporate God-man composed of untold millions of glorified believers and you will be one of them. You'll be there. You will be recognizable because the Lord will not throw away his creation. He will redeem and uplift his creation. So we'll recognize, Brother Knee. we will meet Brother Nee, we will be there. And we'll recognize one another. But if your mind is being renewed and you're being centered on Christ, you'll be very happy to be one, let's just give a conservative estimate, of 500 million sons of God in the New Jerusalem. And I'm not special. That I'm not more spiritual than someone else. I'm not closer to the Lord. There's no sign that there are degrees of glory in the New Jerusalem. That's a kingdom matter. As a reward. In the New Jerusalem, everyone is perfected. Everyone is matured. Everyone is glorified. That's why there's a time for us to contend for the truth with the opposers. Especially they oppose the high peak of the divine revelation. But I realized that, okay, man, you've got all these doctor's degrees and you're in your mind and you're arguing and no one can subdue you. Let me just assure you, in the rest of your life, plus after the rest of your life, plus one day, your life, the remaining years, plus one day, because that's a God day, you will believe exactly the same as all of us. Because this is God's economy. This is God's intention. And it's such a relief not to want to be spiritually unique. We we weren't created for this. We weren't redeemed for this. Our goal is to be corporate in our being. And this is real. Paul says rejoice with those who rejoice. Personally, you have no reason to rejoice actually. Your situation is discouraging. But you're part of the body and someone is rejoicing. You rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Your environment may be quite encouraging. Why would you weep? How could you weep? But you're part of something corporate. You sense the pain, the grief, the loss, and you weep this this is to bear one another in love this is to live a corporate life that's the goal and that corporate life expresses the triune god and when we touch it we realize this is why i exist this is why i was saved this is why i'm in the lord's recovery This is why I will let the word of Christ dwell in me. I will let it dwell in me for the body of Christ. I will let it dwell in me for the churches in Wisconsin. I will let it dwell in me for the young people in the full-time training. I will let it dwell in me for the sake of the ministry through the body of Christ. D says we need to be infused, saturated, and permeated with the all-inclusive extensive Christ. Until in our experience. He's everything to us. Not only in our song. He's everything to us. Okay, It's good to sing that. But if we sang it according to actuality. We would say. He's certain things to me. (laughs) But we should sing it according to vision. And according to hope. But. This has to actually start happening. I mean, like, it has to happen. If it can happen in one person in a country, let's say someone would be in Bulgaria, living in Sofia, Bulgaria. And she, like Sister Barber, was like this. Or he is this kind of person. That person is a channel to open up the whole country to the experience of Christ. The work has its part. The ministry has its part. Nothing can replace the channel that a brother or sister may be because they let this happen to them. And they realize... That there is a price to be paid for this to happen. And they're not daunted by that. They want to be infused, saturated, and permeated with the all-inclusive, extensive Christ until, in our experience, he's everything done. Brother Lee wrote Hymn 510. That is not theory. That hymn is not doctrine. That hymn is a testimony of the being of a brother in whom Christ is everything. And we want to be that, not that we will have a reputation for being that, but for the body, The all-inclusive, extensive Christ is in us, but we need to know him, be filled with him, be saturated with him, and be absolutely one with him. We should allow, that's another form of let. We should allow the all-inclusive, extensive Christ to fill our whole being and to replace our culture with himself. Culture is put on this outline deliberately because there is a culture war taking place even within the sphere of the Lord's recovery. Not outwardly, but inwardly. Who in fact will live Christ and not culture? Who in fact will live in Wisconsin for 40 years and never? become a Wisconsinian in culture. This is crucial. Otherwise, on the surface, we'll have all these people together, but intrinsically, there'll be this disparity. I said, because I have this living example, one of my favorite Brother Lee stories is this, 1973. 1973. He had just ministered something on the new man. A number of us are in Akron, Ohio, where he's giving a conference. And many brothers with their wives are in someone's home enjoying a snack. I'm sitting next to Brother Lee. And a dear sister made this observation. Brother Lee was eating Ritz crackers. I was enjoying cheese and crackers. He said, oh, this is the best cracker. Probably now you'll say, oh, it has too fat, too many carbohydrates, killing others' enjoyment. Anyway. (laughs) And he's putting cheese on the cracker. And it was so delightful. And, And this dear one said, Brother Lee, you're eating cheese. I thought Chinese didn't like cheese. And I can close my eyes and visualize it. He had a twinkle in his eye. He said with such affection, he said, sister, I'm not Chinese. (laughs) (laughs) That's why the Lord could use him to open up this country. And so when I grow up, maybe I could be visiting in some country, enjoying the native dish. And the dear one will say, I thought Americans didn't like that. I won't imitate. I won't take the way of imitating. That's unreal. I won't settle for that. I can't. But one day, to say, sister, just with the right inflection, I'm not an American. I'm not a Mexican. I'm not Japanese. I'm not German. I'm not Russian. I'm not Irish. I'm not Southern man. I'm not Nigerian. I'm a Christ man. Amen. The more Christ replaces our natural life and culture with himself, the more we will be able to declare to live as Christ. To us to live will be the Christ who takes full possession of us, occupies us, and fills us with himself. The all-inclusive, extensive Christ desires to replace every element of our natural life and culture with himself so that we may be the one new man as his corporate expression. There's the goal again. When you are enlightened, In your own seeking with the Lord. And you can tell him, Lord, I want to experience you for the body of Christ. You will enter another realm. In Haggai, there was a drought on all the produce of the land, which typify the riches of Christ. And the Lord pointed out, Why? Because of my house. You run everyone to his own house because you don't care for my house. There is a drought. Well, that's a principle. If we can say, Lord, I love you for the church. I love you for the bride. I love you for the body of Christ. I want to be transformed for the one new man. I want to go to the training and be trained. FTTA or middle age training. Not just for myself to be perfected, but for your corporate expression. This touches his heart very much. Okay, the word of Christ is the word spoken by Christ. In his New Testament economy, God speaks in the Son. The Son speaks not only by himself in the Gospels, but also through his members, the apostles and prophets in Acts and the epistles and in Revelation. All these speakings can be considered the word of Christ. Thus, the word of Christ includes the entire New Testament. So the word of Christ is the word spoken by Christ directly. It's the word spoken in the New Testament. We will see very shortly. It's Christ himself. In Colossians, the word is for revealing Christ and his preeminence, centrality, and universality. Colossians is focused on Christ as our head and our life. And Paul's concern in Colossians is for the revelation of Christ unto the full knowledge, unto unto full knowledge. For this, we need the word of Christ. I'd like to make a suggestion. Uh, Don't do it as an invitation. Don't do it because it's it's a suggestion. You may want to bring this to the Lord and see if he would lead you to do it. If you would get, and I'm referring to the English for convenience, if you would get a pocket New Testament, text only, 450 pages of text. If you read 15 pages a day, you can read the entire New Testament in a 30-day period. That is a month. You may want to read five pages in the morning, five in the afternoon, five in the evening. Uh, If you can stay awake in the evening. Uh, I know whereof I speak. To do this every now and then gives you a broader view. It helps you see the connection between things. It opens your being for the Lord speaking. How long does it would it take to read fifteen pages? Um, maybe close to thirty minutes. So you divide it up into ten minute segments. I don't know if you can get ten minutes. Let's be realistic. But please consider reading the Bible more. However much you're reading, read a little more. Uh, if you're already reading at the, at the pace recommended, then I'm not going to heap a burden on you. I, I know the practicalities of our human and spiritual existence. I don't want to heap burdens on the saints to add to all the things that they're trying to do. But consider this. If if within the next year, the Lord might give you a 30-day period where you could work this into your schedule, I believe you will be very blessed. The important thing is, there's an intrinsic connection between the written word, which is spirit and life, and the living word, which is Christ. The more I take in the written word, the more I take in Christ. The more I enjoy Christ as the living word, the more I recognize my need for the written word. This is practical. If you feel you can't do it in a month, how about three months? Five pages a day. You could read through the New Testament text four times in a year. When was the last time you read through the New Testament four times in a year? This is not going to be interrogation time, so don't (laughs) worry. Even once. The word of Christ is actually the person of Christ. Paul almost personifies the person of Christ. He tells us to let this word dwell in us. As if it were a living person. I mean, I would never say to the brothers, let the glass of water dwell on the table. It's just, it's awfully dramatic. Uh, let the watch Let it it dwell in my pocket. It's ridiculous. I don't think I I would even say to our remaining cat, probably the last critter that will ever inhabit our house, (laughs) that is a hope of mine. I don't say, behold, let the kitty cat dwell in the house. It's persons who dwell. I appreciate the thought here. Dwell is not accidental. The Greek word is oikeo, to make home, to make a house. It's the same word that's in Ephesians 3.17. So it's really a person, a living person. First we have Christ as our life. Then we have his living word personified as his person dwelling in us. So would you please consider... Praying this one sentence before you go to sleep tonight. Just you directly. Better if you're not in a group. You just contact the Lord and just say, Lord Jesus, dwell in me. Oh, Word of Christ, dwell in me richly. You just see what will happen. This is a let. Since the word of Christ can dwell in us, it must be a living person. Therefore, to let the word of Christ dwell in us indicates that we allow a living person, Christ himself, to dwell in us. Tomorrow morning, if I remember correctly, we will develop this matter. The Lord is in your spirit you will determine how much he will make home in your heart. I cannot determine this for my wife. I cannot. Even if I would love her as Christ loved the church and would lay down my soul life for her, I can't make this happen. I'm talking about a very real, actual, ongoing experience that's progressive where Christ as the word is actually spreading into your mind, into your memories, into your imagination, into your thoughts, into your concepts. He's actually spreading into the whole realm of your emotions. Many brothers have the emotional room sealed shut. Even they themselves may know not know what's there. They're scared to death. Of the surfacing of certain feelings than in our will. So this, we need to have a let. Because this is what God wants. And this is what something in us resists. The word will deal with the resistance if we simply let. Let. To let the word of Christ dwell in us indicates that we allow a living person, Christ himself, to dwell in us. In my travels, I'm often told by the dear saints, they are so sincere and they're so loving. Just make yourself at home. Okay. Well, suppose I'm a guest in your home. I go to Greg Downs' home in Milwaukee. and He says, make yourself at home. I said, okay, I'm going to take him literally. And then the next morning, you see me carrying in some buckets of paint. <laughs> and you say, "What are you doing?" You said, "Well, I, I don't like the color of my room." <laughs> and uh, prob- probably your teenage daughter is going to fear and tremble because she gave me up her room, and I, I don't like those pictures on the wall at all. And the furniture? You said, make myself, you, you said, "Make yourself at home." Well, I meant it symbolically. (laughs) I meant it metaphorically. No, if I'm to make myself at home, I mean, if I were really to do this, okay, I I need bookshelves. I need bookcases. You don't have enough bookcases. I want to get the sound system out, the bookcases in, The broad screen TV in. How how about a little digital one just to be able to check on what's fair and balanced at Fox News. That's good enough. (laughs) And so we need to get beyond the politeness of it. Like Lord, you know, make yourself at home. Uh, His view is I'm not a guest being told to be at home. I'm the owner. (laughs) I am the dweller. This is my house. Your being is my house. But because of the kind of person I am and the way I operate, I will not force you to do anything. You need to let every step. Every step let. So it's good to give a general let. But there are who knows how many lets to come. And each one results in the advancement of Christ in our being. If we would allow Christ to make his home in our hearts, we must be filled with the word of Christ. For the Lord's word to abide in us means that the Lord himself abides in us. If Christ is to abide in us in a practical way, his words must abide in us. We cannot have Christ in us experientially Unless we have his words in us also. So that's the burden. That we all have the living person of Christ. We all have the word of God. Please don't turn inward. Try to analyze where you are. Just turn to the Lord and just say, I let. How precious. Here, here's a young brother in the fourth row. I don't know where he's from. I don't know his name. Maybe he's a student. The two in the blue. Oh, oh, probably from uh, Pullman. From Washington State. I'm not asking him to do anything outward. I'm not into that kind of thing. Imagine a young man. Tomorrow evening. We stand up and say. I had a conversation with the Lord. I want Tell you what I told him. I said, Lord, for my whole life, I will let you make home in me. I will let your word dwell in me richly. And we will all say, also say, Amen. Amen. Okay, if you've ever been to a conference like this, uh, one thing you've learned is that the messages are not short. But they're not so long that they don't give you any time to respond. Don't we have 15, 20 minutes? Would, would a number of you just follow the sense with Just share something for about a minute each. Wherever you're sitting, whoever you are. huh? Okay, very good. Let's take some time to share. This word needs your confirmation. It needs your amen.